Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, new perspectives from SAP strategic partners on business, IT, and innovation, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have an article from healthcareitnews.com. Let me read a brief quote, and then I'll tell you what we're really going to be talking about. So seamlessly integrated technology platforms helped healthcare organizations react swiftly to the coronavirus pandemic, ensuring safe and secure patient care after the world shut down. That same technology is changing the way doctors and patients interact. Now, I don't think this is breaking news to anyone, but I want to start the show off with, so let's talk a little more. COVID-19 profoundly and rapidly impacted healthcare delivery. It shifted it in ways we never knew we would need. Before COVID, patients met in person with doctors. Come on, how many times do you go to a doctor's office, a hospital if you need to? You had tests performed in hospitals. Now, a lot of people are determined not to set foot in a facility because they know there might be sick people there. My goodness. So we're asking doctors and other healthcare providers to assess us remotely and provide diagnosis by telemedicine, by phone, by Zoom, by other conferencing platforms. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Capgemini's recent study called The Health Fix, how COVID-19 has transformed consumers' attitudes to health and accelerated the future of digital health care. In this survey, Capgemini spoke with more than 2,000 consumers, get this, in France, in Germany, in the UK, and the US. And they asked them, how has this pandemic transformed their views on health and digital health services and what this means, implications for life sciences companies and healthcare providers? The results, the empowered patient. And we're talking to all of you around the world. You are now an empowered patient, or you could be, will have a profound impact on pharmaceutical companies, payers, healthcare providers, medical devices manufacturers, think remote, think connected, tech companies, regulators, and of course, you yourself as a patient. I have three very interesting people on the panel today who are going to talk to us about it from their insights, their expertise. We're going to be speaking with Eliza Sylvester at Capgemini. John Murray at SAP, and Marissa Slatter at Capgemini. And I'm going to ask them for their take on the empowered patient implications for healthcare delivery. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get this party started. Eliza Sylvester, we're so happy to have you. I know you're busy and thanks for your time. Why don't you take a few minutes, introduce yourself to our audience, and what does this topic mean to you, Eliza? Welcome. Thanks, Bonnie. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I will tell you that I started my career in consulting and financial services, and when 9-11 hit, I made the choice to switch to life sciences because at that time, I felt like life sciences is, is really what keeps the world going at times of crisis. I know there's different perspectives, but that's where my heart is. And when the pandemic hit, made me think back to 9-11, and it made me feel really, really glad to be in life sciences. At Capgemini, we are working with clients that I hope are part of the cure. So thanks for having me. We're delighted to have you. Thank you very much, Eliza. Let's move around to John Murray at SAP. John, you're up next. Introduce yourself, please. 
Thank you for uh, having me. I've uh, been in healthcare now for about 35 years. I got my start actually walk, going into the operating room on a gurney and for an, for an appendicitis. And I turned to the orderly and said, how much do you make? And he said, I make eight thirty-seven an hour. And I said, wow, I, I make three twenty-five an hour. And how do I get one of those jobs? He says, well, now you're my new best friend. And guess what? You check out of the hospital, you go down to HR, you get a job. And that's how I started mopping floors and putting people into hospital beds. That was 35 years ago. I've been involved now with Oracle, Siemens, and a couple startups, and I'm the strategic director for health sciences. And I just love this topic. So thank you very much, Bonnie. Thank you, John. When we met on our prep call recently, you told that story, and I asked you to be sure to tell it on the air because people don't know where we all come from. How do we get our start? Where are we in our careers? And why are the three of you here? What does the topic mean to you? But what brought you to this level of expertise? Which brings me to our third guest, Marissa Slatter. You're up. Please introduce yourself and what's your passion. Marissa, welcome. Bonnie, glad to be here. Um, I'm a director at Capgemini's uh, Research Institute, which is our in-house think tank on all things digital. And I study the impact of digital on organizations. Um, I also study the impact of digital on consumer behavior and decision-making. And that's an area that I'm, I'm really interested in. Um, I've spent over 12 years in research and consulting working on all different topics from digital transformation to customer experience across um, diverse sectors, consumer products, retail, education, and uh, life sciences and healthcare. And uh, I have a particular interest in healthcare stemming from my middle school days of working as a candy striper, delivering flowers <laughs> and balloons to patients at my local hospital. And so I'm, I'm fascinated with how people make decisions about their health and also the fast-growing intersection of digital health technology. Um, so that's my interest. Thank you very much. Interesting backgrounds. Wow. Thank you very much for sharing. Uh, not the stuff you would usually put in your professional bio, but we want you here as real people, not just announcers or slide readers. We're having a good conversation so far. Let's move to the opening quotes. To our listeners or our viewers, if you get to see the video of this show, we here are here on Zoom, and I have the pleasure and privilege of watching my panelists think. I like watching people think and how they speak, what's on their mind, really. I could see the emotion in their eyes and I could see when they're ready to pounce on a topic. I've asked them to send me a quote from a movie or a song that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic and then relate it to the topic in their own words. So Eliza, Sylvester, Capgemini, you've picked a quote, a wonderful quote from John Keating in the movie played by the late and dearly and great Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society in 1989 American teen drama film set in a fictional elite conservative Vermont boarding school. It tells the story of an English teacher who inspires his students through the teaching of poetry. And here's the quote, the full quote, no matter what people tell you, words and ideas can change the world. Eliza, what does this have to do with our topic? Love the quote, by the way. Thank you. I think that, you know, this is a time right now where I feel just completely inspired, terrified sometimes, but completely inspired by the idea that I am in the management consulting field. This is a time that historians and 
business people and lawyers and all different areas of society will look back on and say, what did we learn during 2020 with that pandemic? And I feel that it puts us in a position where what we say, the choices we make, and where we choose to push boundaries will define where we go from here. And that's how I apply that quotation to the pandemic and what we're going through right now. Thank you very much. It's always, always glad to have Robert Williams and his absentia on the show. So thank you very much. And what I especially like about that quote, Eliza, is more than words, ideas can change the world. And that's what we've been dealing with, right? With the pandemic, who, who, who can solve this? Who can help us survive mentally, emotionally, culturally, physically, societally, business-wise? What are the ideas that will lift us out of a place we never thought we would be in in this stage in a history, in human history. So here we are. John Murray has sent us an interesting quote from the wizard Gandalf. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, 2003. Gandalf is a protagonist in J.R.R. Tolkien's novels, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. He's a wizard, one of the Istari order and the leader and mentor. I want to salute him of the Fellowship of the Ring. And I don't know if you know this, John, but Tolkien took the name Gandalf from the Old Norse catalog of dwarves. I'm just going to leave it there because I can't pronounce anything else. So here is the quote. The board is set. The pieces are moving. We come to it at last, the great battle of our time. That's a wow quote, John Murray. How'd you find this one? Well, actually, Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite uh, books, actually. I read it when it came out in, I think, 1976 or whenever it was. And this particular setting is where Pippin is a, is a hobbit, and he's looking out over the balcony and looking to the uh, Mordor where the, where the big fire is coming. And he says, you don't expect me to fight in this battle, do you? And Gandalf doesn't say anything. And he looks again at, at Pippin. And Pippin says, I don't know if I should be fighting or sitting on the side. And this is where Gandalf says, the board is set. And I think that's exactly true today is that we as people, technology is interfacing our lives so deeply. So we can't change it. And I would say that we're either digital immigrants or digital natives. And those are actually things that happen to us. And so those of us who are older, and I'm just speaking for myself, we come to technology, not about anybody else. We come to technology wondering, what do we do? And healthcare is immensely personal. And we can't get off the bus. We, the board's going. And we have to come at it. And we have to solve the issues of the interface between people and technology. I love the quote. Very interesting perspective. Very, very interesting. Uh, I'm just going to mention to you that I recently saw the limited edition series, I think on Netflix, talking about the board is set, John, the Queen's Gambit, about a young girl who is a childhood, a strange childhood chess prodigy. And it reminded me of that. And it's fascinating if you want to see about moves in the board and, and who knows where we're going to go. It's almost a metaphor for where we are now, who is going to win, who, who we thought would or wouldn't, and how did they get there? Thank you. Very interesting quote. And now let's go to Marissa Slatter. And Marissa has picked, oh, one of our favorite all-time quotes from Forrest Gump. The movie is a 1994 American epic romantic comedy drama film starring, of course, Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, Sally Field was in it too. And here is the quote. My mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Another iconic quote. Marissa, talk to me. How'd you pick this one for our show today? Sure. So I've always been a huge fan of historical fiction books and movies. 
And um, I remember seeing this movie many times during my childhood. Um, and so I, when I think about it back in the 1960s, most boxes of chocolates did not have the, the cheat sheet that you often get today. <laughs> so, you know, you don't know if you're getting nougat filled or cherry or nuts. Um, and you don't know until you bite into it. And so I think this applies the same for life. Um, you don't really know what every day of your life is going to be until you live it. It exemplifies the, the randomness of life and the, uh, the fact that life is always full of surprises. Um, it's unpredictable. If you had asked me a year ago uh, how 2020 would turn out, uh, I would never have believed you. Um, and in the, in the healthcare field, uh, you know, we see many unexpected twists in behavior that's driven by, by the pandemic. So for example, we see um, populations that may have not had much exposure te to technology, older populations, for example, using digital health technologies and, and having those remote visits with physicians for the first time. And so it's about being um, able to adapt and, and have resilience um, when life throws you unexpected twists. Thank you very much. Beautiful quote. And I've never heard it called the cheat sheet in a box of chocolates, Marissa. <laughs> and that's true. You get this little diagram with little pictures, but you spend so much time saying, oh, is that the one with the red sprinkles or the one with the blue sprinkles? And no, it looks white, but it's got a little squirrely on the, a swirly on the top. And this one is smooth on the top. Which one did they really mean? I just say, damn it, just bite into just something and see what you get already. It's chocolate. What could be so bad? Oh, okay. Thank you all for for your work picking out the quotes. I really appreciate the, the time you invested in doing that because the quotes are wonderful. Let's move on to our roundtable discussion. Eliza Sylvester, I'm going to go to your statement number one. I think this encapsulates our topic today very nicely. Eliza said the following. I'm just going to read a little bit from the start of it. Eliza, take about two minutes, whatever you need to expand it. Tell us more what's on your mind about this. Then I will ask John for his take. And John has the option of saying whether he agrees or disagrees <laughs> or any position he wants to take on it. We're not going to make him take one polar decision or the other. And then we'll get Marissa in to talk about her take on what Eliza said and or what John said. So here's the statement. COVID provides an unprecedented challenge, but also an unprecedented opportunity to drive innovation. For example, many companies were reluctant to invest in virtual trials or telehealth before covid Eliza, please tell us more. This is a great start to our roundtable. Go ahead. So I think for me, there's a lot of people who, especially early on in this, felt terrified, myself included. But at the same time, it's such an incredible opportunity across industry and including government to really think about the way we do things and not just transposing. How can we do this digitally for a short period of time? Before things go back to normal, there is no normal it, that's going to happen. What, what the future holds is a reinvention, and it's going to be reinvention with patients at the center. And that also, that the second thing is that a lot of these things we're discovering with COVID are not new. They were in the pipeline anyway. It's just for various reasons, people were reluctant to invest in and embrace them and adopt things. So what COVID has done is accelerated that virtual clinical trials. Thank God. I mean, amazing. And telehealth, amazing. 
These are really exciting, positive developments that we'll grow from and patients will benefit. Thank you very much, John Murray. Thoughts? Yes, I agree. But there's a really big but to that statement is that the devil is actually in the details. I, I agree that, yes, the technology is, is out there. I agree that, yes, we're moving forward. I agree that it's a pro- tremendous opportunity. But, but we have to get at the person is that we are people and that peoples have personalities and people have feelings and they're emotional and they are people that sometimes interact and they come from broken families or come from good families or come from no families and they got all kinds of stuff going on. And that's where I hope that we as a people, as a technology company, as consultants, we get down to who the person is and not just say the patient is in the middle, but the personality of the patient and their background is in the middle. Thank you. Very, very astute. And I'm thinking of their fears too, John, right? Their fears, their experiences with healthcare. How willing are they to ever have gone to an office or a facility, right, for for healthcare? And do they trust? Do they trust what that device may or may not tell them or their doctor? Marissa Slatter, please join us. Thank you. Um, Both uh, great points. And, you know, I've also seen studying the impact of the pandemic across sectors. I see I agree that you know it's spurring it's spurring innovation across a wide variety of areas um, from more of a, a consumer research perspective, and that's where my focus lies. Uh, we do see increasing comfort levels among consumers with the growing use of technologies. Um, we see, and that's a, a, an increase from before the pandemic, and, and we see this increase across all age groups. Um, everyone from the millennials to uh, the baby boomer populations. But what what John said, I think is very important that there's differences in in how to uh, provide access to digital health, how to consider those nuances, those fears by population. You know, when you're developing um, tools and and services for older individuals, uh, that will look a lot different than uh, millennials, for example, who have Um, more of a tendency to embrace digital across all areas of life. So, um, you know, an important nuance to the to the topic. Thank you. And the topic is very nuanced, very well put in word. Thank you, Marissa. Eliza, this was your starting topic. Anything you want to say back to John and or Marissa? Yeah, I think um, the the main thing that uh, both of your thoughts uh, make me think of is the importance of diversity. Um, because as great as this is going to be, if we can't reach that person in an underdeveloped country, if their pharmacy doesn't have the refrigeration capacity that the vaccine requires, we're going to have great new tools that are inaccessible. And Mercy used the word access. We're going to have great tools or medicines or, or digital therapies that aren't accessible to a lot of people or that people are afraid of taking. And that gets, you know, John, to your point about dealing with people's fears, et cetera. Good conversation. John, anything you want to add to that since you've been summoned? No, I've been summoned. That's good. No, I love it. I I think we're actually getting down to it. I think we all agree. I think we get down to to actually dealing with technology for people. It's not dealing with technology for a patient. It's it's dealing with technology for John or Marissa or even you, Bonnie. It's dealing with who we are as a people. I, there you go. I, I was being nice to the host, but here we are. Is that we deal with that at a very personal level. And that's that's a passion, I think, for everybody on the on this committee or on the panel. 
Very, very interesting. Yes, I, I had uh, Medicare, if I can use that word, <laughs> send, send me a do-it-at-home test recently. And they said, your doctor has ordered this. Well, I regret to say I don't have a primary doctor right now. There is no designated doctor who could mm-hmm. have remotely ordered it because I don't have one. My mm-hmm. choice. And I'm looking at the test and saying, well, what if I take it? Who's going to get the results? What will they do with those results? Where will they be recorded if I am not on anybody's patient list right now? What are they going to tell me? Who will interpret them for me? My daughter is, a, is an MD. She's a pediatric GI. And I said, what should I do? She said, don't take the test because you don't know who's going to read it, who's going to interpret, who's going to give you the results. Where do they go? She said, wait till you pick a doctor. And then you have them do the test. And so very, very interesting about all of you, about nuance, about fears, John, about culture. And the interesting thing about healthcare is that it is people-based. Each one of us, we're not a number. We're not a patient number or a case study. We're a human being. It's our bodies. So it's a very interesting topic. And COVID, of course, has thrown a huge monkey wrench into anything, which brings me to John Murray's statement number one. Let me go here, John. Let's see if we can do this one without getting too political. John says the U.S. healthcare system is not universally accessible. It's publicly and privately funded, a patchwork of fragmented systems and programs. Many people struggle to understand what's covered. John, take us through this morass or this uh, conundrum of healthcare. Go ahead. Right. So, so I'm going to I'm going to key off of what you just said. Is that nobody wants to engage healthcare at a very fundamental, we just don't want to do it. There's no good news when you go, nobody says I'm going to buy a Tesla one day. Oh, I'm going to go into a hospital the next. It's just not the way it is. When my grandchildren were born, it was exciting almost, but there was still this little bit of fear that I had about going in and, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? So we come at healthcare from a fundamental basis that we don't want it. If we have to engage it, we don't like it. And so what happens, I don't care if it's in England or if it's in France or it's in New Zealand or if it's in the U.S., is that especially in the U.S., we have this patchwork of things that are just that we don't know how to engage. So when it comes to COVID, there's this confusion about when do I go to the doctor? You just talked about getting a test, that test and what what's going to happen to it? Well, I would venture a guess that you've never been on the the. The Medicare site, for example, and Medicare, if you think of exchanges, most Medicare is actually part of an exchange and it's covered under Anthem. Do you go to Medicare? Do you go to Anthem? If you're on Medicaid, do you go to, you have two cards, you have your Medicaid card and then you have your card for your insurance. When do you use it? Do you use one here? Do you use one there? As it relates to COVID, people don't know how to fundamentally engage. And I remember Uh, Back in 1989-ish, I was working in the NHS in England, and I built a system called a quality, quality of life indicators. Hmm. What happened was the the government said, we have to fix the waiting list problem. So we're going to prioritize waiting lists. And every surgery is going to have a number. And we'll just do a computation and say, a orthopedic case on a two-year-old is different than an orthopedic case on a 90-year-old, and it had a quality of life indicator. That quality of life, it never went into production. It was too political because it actually got into who gets healthcare and how does it engage. And to me, that's the fundamental problem that we have to solve. Technology isn't going to solve that. That is a political problem and a funding problem. 
absolutely fascinating. Let's go around the table. Marissa, you happen to be sitting virtually next to John Murray, whether you know it or not, because I've got you all in gallery view here. Marissa, respond, please. Agree or disagree or anything you'd like to say. Marissa Slatter, go ahead. Sure. I, I, um, I agree. Uh, I'll add to that more from a consumer research perspective. Um, you know, the, the healthcare system, uh, John said, is not universally accessible. And that is indeed uh, what we found in our research uh, for a large share of, of Americans. Um, we asked the question, do you agree, uh, your level of agreement with, I'm worried that I'll not be able to access healthcare when I need it. And we asked this uh, today, as well as before COVID-19. And so we found 37% of U.S. consumers saying that they're worried today, and that's up from 25% before COVID. So certainly, you know, the pandemic has made people more worried about access um, and also affordability. We, we asked a similar question, and uh, 36% of American consumers are worried about being not being able to afford healthcare today, um, up from, I think it was about 30% before the pandemic. So real, real concerns uh, that the pandemic has exacerbated um, to some extent uh, for many Americans, as well as um, consumers you know, globally. Thank you. Eliza, please join us. Love to get your thoughts. So completely agree. Uh, it's kind of a morass. Um, it's kind of a mess. I would like, Bonnie, for your listeners to think about, are they in a role either in technology, in government, or in healthcare, where innovation might improve access? And let me give you an example of that. So tests. Now, in New York City, where I live, early on in the pandemic, it was really hard to get a test. If you could get one at a healthcare clinic, you were going to wait a week. But guess what? If you could pay enough, you want to pay $2,000, a doctor will come to your house and give you a test. You'll get the records next, the results tomorrow. Now, imagine, and we're kind of getting there, the tests were you could go to CVS and get a test the way you could get a pregnancy test. Imagine that that test could tell you, like a pregnancy test, you can, you know, put it in your nose or whatever in 15 minutes, you'd know if you had COVID. I would like to challenge technology and healthcare uh, systems to come up with ways that you can make things more accessible. I don't think, and I guess where I'm concluding is I don't think it's on the healthcare system entirely uh, to solve itself. I obviously, they're the source of the problem in many ways, but the rest of us, maybe empowered to help fix the solution or fix the problem, at least make it a little better. Very interesting. Great around the table. And I'm thinking of back in the day, not so many years ago, and John will probably remember this, when the big deal was how long did the doctor keep you waiting in the waiting room? Mm -hmm. Or did, did the nurse or whoever is at the desk have your records handy? Or did they know what your last test result was? Or waiting on the phone, the doctor will is going to speak with you and tell you what you, you remember all, how nervous we were. The doctor wants to talk to you and they keep you waiting for 20 minutes and not come back and you were hearing very annoying music. Those were what we dealt with before. And now it's not only what kind of care am I going to get, it's do I have to go someplace where I won't feel safe from COVID? Do I have to go to the office? What if I go to CVS? Is everybody wearing a mask? What if I could get a test there? Everything has changed. 
everything has changed in ways we never imagined. We would have to make so many more decisions. It was, okay, I'm going to the doctor's office. I have to take the morning off from work. And when will they see me? And what's my copay? And okay, everything has changed. John, this was your topic. You want to quickly wrap up anything you'd like to say back to any of us about our comments? No, I, I totally agree. And, and I would challenge, that was a great, by the way, of saying I challenge people, but I would challenge people who actually fund uh, technology so that we can fund technology that's accessible to everyone. And, and we can develop great things for private pay people and who actually make money, but it's really hard. What do you do for the worker who is you know str- struggling? What do you do for the, the elderly who is sitting at home? They don't have the tech and there's no money to fund that. That is what I would challenge us to do. So it's funding models and tech. And actually, I won't say guilt, but it would be nice to put a little <laughs> bit of guilt on people so that we can change this. <laughs> My people will bring the guilt. Make- it's okay. Go ahead, Eliza. <laughs> yeah, I was just, just going to say, you know, the other thing, John, that I think about, you talk about like, you know, my, my parents may not be totally comfortable dealing with technology. What about the people who don't have technology? So Absolutely. great. On my, on my iPhone now, I can do telehealth. Well, what if I'm somewhere in some remote part of Africa and there's no network and I don't have an iPhone or the phone that I have doesn't have the app? How do I get help? So I think, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And that's all a perfect segue to Marissa, where I'm going next is her statement. I'm looking at her statement number two. And she said, amid the pandemic, more consumers have grown comfortable with the use of technology managing their health. She says 46% of consumers said they are comfortable with the growing use of technology for health, health management today, and 43% trust the use of technology. Marissa, why don't you take this over from me and tell us a few more of the numbers. These are very, very telling. Go ahead, Marissa. Sure. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we saw a Uh, a trend amid the pandemic that more consumers have grown comfortable with the use of technology in managing their own health, and therefore uh, their their trust levels have also increased. Um, And, you know, certainly I think in the beginning of of the pandemic, um, you know, some of this was driven by just their inability to see doctors. Um, You know, early in lockdowns, many many offices were, were closed. Um, so consumers were forced to, to seek other methods um, and uh, also consumers wanting to reduce their own risk of exposure. So moving more towards digital health and, and remote technologies. Um, you know, we see that the 46 percent is, is uh, the percentage across the board. And when you look at it by age groups, um, you know, not too surprisingly, we see millennials having the highest levels of comfort with technology as well as trust over 50%, uh, 56% specifically saying millennials saying that they uh, are comfortable with using digital health technologies. And um, we're, we're also seeing based on the research that, that consumers are taking action based on, on their growing readiness to adopt, adapt, uh, sorry, adopt technology. Um, a large share, 44%, are willing to share their health data to benefit new therapies. And uh, also a third of consumers um, would, pref- would actually prefer healthcare providers that use digital technologies, uh, things like virtual bookings and consultations, remote medical monitoring um, over ones that do not. So, you know, again, inc- an increasing trend here and and uh, one that has you know, significant implications for 
um, healthcare and uh, access, as we spoke about earlier, um, but also one that you know we do need to pay attention, as Eliza said earlier, uh, to the the digital divide and, and making sure that folks um, you know have access and that access is equitable um, across the board. Thank you, Marissa. Eliza, you're sitting next to, whether you know or not, you're sitting next to Marissa. So Eliza, you're up. What would you like to say to Marissa? Agree or disagree? I think I know, but go ahead. <laughs> Very strongly agree. Um, and I, I think, you know, you, you've already kind of heard my thoughts on this topic. So I'm going to yield my time to John. Okay. John, you have wow. been summoned again. You've been summoned Wowzers. twice. Wowzers. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to be a little provocative here just because we're going to do this. Go ahead. I can't disagree with the numbers, Mm -hmm. but I do think that it it doesn't tell the complete picture. So I guess I agree and I disagree. I I don't know what that is. Agree, disagree. But but regardless of that, when you actually look at, let's say you do a telehealth thing, right? I've got a cold. Cool. No problem. But what happens when you've got a rash or when your eye hurts or when you need to go in for something that, that a, you know, a camera won't do that? And mm-hmm. you can't. So, so I've engaged telehealth as a, as a guy who needs health care. Let's leave it at that. And I had a cerebral hemorrhage one time. I had a big old facial droop and I c- couldn't talk. Mm. And my neurologist couldn't engage me over that. So while I think we are theoretically willing to engage technology, when it comes right down to it, if we are as a person, I think my perception is that we're a lot more skeptical based because my disease is different. It's special. I need to talk to someone. So I guess I'm saying consumers and patients are two different people and that healthcare makes us immensely personal for what it's worth. That's my opinion. I, I see the nodding. I think we're all nodding in agreement to that. It does come down to in the in the old days, which was what eight and a half months ago, something bothered you. Oh, there's a 24 hour round the clock urgent care. I live in Durham, North Carolina. We have Wake Med, um, 1.2 miles from my house. Where do you go in the middle of the night if you need something? You go to Wake Med. Now it's COVID. You don't go anywhere before you think about it. What are the risks? Who's there? I have a dear friend whose father just turned 96 this week. Severe back pain. Went to a hospital on Long Island for back care. He got COVID. He's fading by the minute. The family is bereft. So, yes, it's nuanced in so many ways. We never thought we'd have to think about trusting where we went more than trusting the physician or the office or or the medical knowledge. Now it's the environment. Let's move on. We have time for ooh, another topic. Eliza, I'm looking at your statement number three. This is very interesting. You say there's a growing appetite for companies that, quote, I'm putting air quotes up if you can't see me, do good. But there's a huge opportunity for some, some of these companies to also build customer loyalty and grow customer share by doing good. Tell me some of the things that are happening in our COVID environment for patients and consumers of healthcare. Eliza. Sure. So let me give you a really good example. The structure is there's an opportunity for a healthcare company or other companies as well. There's an opportunity. But by taking advantage of that opportunity, um, they're also going to win brownie points. Here's a concrete example. So I've been talking with a company in life sciences, that when the pandemic first hit, uh, this is a company that in, has uh, products in multiple sclerosis. 
And doctors were coming to them saying, help us. Now, multiple sclerosis is a disease where the doctor normally has to track the disease progression. Mm -hmm. And it's very complex how the medicines work and what the symptoms are doing. And you have to stay on top of it on a monthly basis. The doctor's going to check and see if what level the medicine is working, what are your symptoms, et cetera, before they continue prescribing it or if they change. Doctors were saying, help us. How are we going to track disease when the patient can't come to the office? And this company invested in a disease tracking tool, digital, that doctors could give their patients. And the company gave it to doctors for free whether or not their, their product was used. Well, guess what? If I'm a doctor who uses, who engages in MS, I'm going to use that tool probably because it's the first one out there. If I'm a patient who has MS, I'm going to be grateful that tool exists. So they did a good thing, but they're going to get a lot of opportunity because of it. And I think that's a real uh, exciting possibility where there's win-wins. Opportunity investment. Very interesting. Thank you, Eliza. John, thoughts on this? Any examples? I think we all agree that's a good thing. You don't have to agree or disagree with this one, John. Any examples you want to share? Anything else you want to add to that, John? And then uh, Marissa. John? Yeah, actually, I, I, well, I will definitely agree with this. I'm not sure that all companies actually see the benefit. Now, what's interesting, right, because it, there, there's the theory and the company that you just mentioned. I don't know who it is. I don't need to know. But that was an excellently executed plan. There's a lot of companies who have a plan about COVID, but they actually miss it because COVID is, is something that we all worry about COVID, but we don't worry about the what happens post-COVID or the impact COVID has on multiple sclerosis or on liver disease or on congestive heart failure or on this all other stuff. And so we're, we're trying to solve the COVID problem, but we're not actually solving the impact of COVID on all the other diseases. It sounds like this company has actually not only solved it, but actually gave it away. That's it's a brilliant example. I wish more people did that. And we like brilliant examples. Marissa, join us. Thoughts, please? Sure. Um, from my perspective, I am seeing increasingly more companies define their raison d'etre, their purpose, their reason for being that goes beyond profit, um, Oftentimes, it, it, it has to do with uh, making an impact on, on society, on their community, on sustainability, for example. Um, and, and the research, uh, the consumer research does support that. So, you know, we're seeing more consumers, um, uh, for example, in the latest health research, um, 64% are saying that if given a choice, they would purchase medications and other health products and services from companies that have a purpose beyond profit. Um, so, you know, a large share of, of consumers saying that, and I think that's driving some of the behavior um, from these companies. But of course, there's, there's many, as John said, that, that don't necessarily get it yet. Thank you very much. I think we have time. Eliza, anything you want to add? Because I have to think of time to squeeze in one more statement from John. Eliza, you good? Uh, you know, I, I would just say, I, I think, again, I want to, uh, same words I used earlier, I, I challenge our listeners or your listeners, Bonnie, to think about that and think not, think be, like, as John said, don't just think about COVID, think beyond COVID and mm -hmm. what can we do to help each other? Because there are so many win-win opportunities out there. And I like the optimism, Eliza, of thinking beyond COVID. 
That's a positive statement. That's a good thought. John, let's look at one element. I don't think we mentioned it at all or much. Let's look at this without getting it too political because we can get tangled on this one. John says the impact of social media on attitudes and beliefs is a known fact. We all accept that the COVID-19 pandemic and misinformation, I didn't use any other terms. I could have leave many confused about what to believe about vaccines. We just got a huge announcement from from Pfizer today, 90% success, huge trials, or what treatments may or may not work. We've all been through that mill. So John, why don't you take about two minutes Let's expand us a little. We'll get some quick comments from your co-panelists, and then we will wrap. Go ahead, John. Yeah. I mean, I've been kind of a little goofy on this show, but this is actually a great tragedy. It's it's one thing to share on social media, whether you like Teslas or not, or value, say, I like a Chevy or I like a, you know, I like a Ford, right? It's another thing even to talk about the environment, which I don't want to even get into, but it's another thing to talk about something that's so deeply personal where someone is affected. And, you know, you know, it's, it's like in my world, when I, when I started growing up, we used to have to write letters and the letters we had to think over and we sent it. Or when the great pandemic came out of the Spanish plague, they actually got news that was validated. You know, this whole idea of social media, we do it in tweets and you can't, you physically cannot uh, impart wisdom or knowledge in a tweet or on a theory when you vomit online and somebody else vomits and somebody else vomits and then you end up going well what what do i do what do i believe and 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 what is actually the fact and then this goes political and then we have to censor and the reality is we've taken something that was about sharing pictures and making comments and goofy remarks and it's become the bible it's become the the quran it's become this this statement that this is dogma. And to me, that is a crying shame. And, and now we've got, again, I'm passionate about elderly, that we have elderly who are looking on social media and they're going, well, oh, oh, I don't know what to do. Do I, do I engage? Oh no, maybe I don't engage. Do I go to the hospital? Do I stand six feet apart? Do I wear a mask? Don't I wear a mask? Regardless of what's true or not, it's generated this fear and to me, I, I actually deleted Facebook off my account because I was getting so aggravated that people were sharing so much. And to me, that's the tragedy of social media is we've, we've, we've taken something very serious to people that don't understand. And we've used a tool that people can give an opinion on. And it's, it's actually created mass confusion and fear, which is exactly opposite of what we want. Thank you. Tragedy. Very wise words. And and also, John, people who are not part of social media or choose not to be are still getting messages, right? Instant yep. messages, emails from people who are doing the interpreting or the, shall we say, the mining of the social lore, if I can say that. I'm keeping very neutral here. I hope you know that. Uh, they're, they're being sent messages. And what do you believe? And, and it is very important. Let's quickly go around. Marissa Slatter, thoughts on what John just shared? And then Eliza will wrap it up. Marissa. Yes, I, I completely agree. Um, the spread of, of medical misinformation has been a detriment to, to society. And I think it emphasizes the importance of patient empowerment. So there's been some studies by, by WHO and uh, the World Health Organization about how patient empowerment actually improves health outcomes for not only the individual, but for the society as a whole. And, and empowerment is really, um, you know, the, the process through which someone gets gains greater control over their own decisions 
and um, actions affecting their health. So if, if we can urge people to, to take that ownership, be more empowered about their health decisions, um, you know, I, I think it would, would help counteract um, this, this, this plethora of in, misinformation out there. Thank you. Eliza, thoughts? Yeah, so Marissa, I want to take something up about empowered. I think in order for patients or people to be empowered, they have to be informed. And the, the tragedy that John was alluding to, to me, I have the right as a person or a patient to, to take whatever actions that are okay with my political and religious beliefs, my immunological concerns, my age, whatever. But it is a shame that there's so much misinformation out there because I might make choices based on inaccurate data. And at the end of the day, whatever choices we all should make should be driven by science and by data. I believe that, uh, you know, and I, and I guess that's, that's to me the shame of it. Thank you very much, John. Very provocative. Absolutely. Very, very I provocative. Love it. That's why love I picked, it. I purposely picked that one from your list because I thought we, we needed to have that conversation and everybody was nice and polite about it, but we all know what we're thinking. Let's go around the table one more time. Predictions. I call this the crystal ball predictions round. 60 seconds each or I'll give you an alternative. One sentence with not more than two commas and one semicolon. <laughs> if you could squeeze that into 60 seconds. I need a prediction on where you think this is all going. The changes in our attitudes, humans' attitudes about healthcare in the through the lens of COVID, through the lens of technology, through the lens of where we're going as a cultural society. How do we get our healthcare? How do we buy it? How do where what do we do? Whom do we trust? What information? We have had such a good conversation. Eliza, I'm going to put you in the hot seat here first. 60 seconds or one long sentence. Here you go. Crystal ball, Eliza Sylvester at Capgemini. Go. It is June 2020, sorry, 2021. Uh, My family and I were able to go to Punta Cana, which we had to cancel on March 15th of this past year. We were able to go because there was a vaccine In fact, there were multiple vaccines available, so much so that by June of 2021, the fear of travel had been largely appeased, but we had other problems. And those problems will continue to haunt us until we address some of the greater uh, challenges that drove COVID to the front. Thank you. I have never had a guest predict where they were at a future time. It is, it is 2021. Very, very nicely done, Eliza. You, you broke a new wall there for us. Thank you very much. You didn't know you were going to make a, be a, a trendsetter today. No pressure on the others. John Murray, 60 seconds or one long sentence in 60 seconds. Prediction, go. Go. So I believe that sometime in the next three elections, we're going to have to define what death means. Technology is moving at such a rate. COVID is advancing that. And it will become a political issue. What does death mean? That will happen. It's going to be highly political. And I sure don't know the answer, but it's going to show up at a theater near you. <laughs> By the way, apparently one of the big theater chains in, in the U.S. had a major stock boost today on news of the, fi- of the Pfizer 
vaccine. So, which is interesting because they've been doing selling uh, remote access, download access to their movies, and they tried to open, and I don't think it went too well. Their stock soared today. So, very interesting mm-hmm. reaction. Marissa Slatter, prediction, 60 seconds. It's all yours. Go. I think in the longer term, the behavior changes that we've witnessed during the pandemic will remain after the pandemic is over. Uh, more and more consumers will prefer on-demand healthcare, telehealth, and um, healthcare or technology will continue to reinvent healthcare and, and enable a greater focus on, on personalized care and patient empowerment. Thank you very much, all. Fascinating. Let's do some gratitude right now. Let's thank Brad Borkin and Susan Walker at SAP for sponsoring this wonderful series. Everybody put your hands together. I can see you. There you go. Nice round. And thank you to Ruth Ann Peters at Capgemini for helping out. She sent us the link to the the study today. Appreciate that. Eliza Sylvester at Capgemini, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. Appreciate your passion. John Murray, we got along just fine. John at SAP, who started off in the hospital world, and here he is, an expert on healthcare. Thank you, John, for joining us. Marissa Slatter, thank you also at Capgemini for your words of wisdom and your research. And thank you to our engineer, Hands Together, from Matt Widener at Voice America Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Tank. We have been thinking. We've been in the tank, but we're socially distanced, thanks to Zoom. Everybody, I'll say be safe, be smart, be savvy, and keep sane. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRadio. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel next time.